Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide Radio Ripping and Caster that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James and with me the Senior Editor Matt. Hello. And Deputy News Editor Justin. Hello. This week we're looking at the next N-line brick in the increasingly imposing Hyundai performance wall. We'll cover off three recent entrants to the Cars Guide garage and we'll check in on the world's newest tequila entrepreneur in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. First of all, we will go to our main topic of conversation, which is all about Hyundai, as I mentioned, and N and N-Line seems to be an increasing focus uh, for the Korean brand. And Matt, you've been this week investigating further. You, You had the opportunity to get a sneak peek of something. Tell us all about it, please. Big time. It was the Sonata N-Line, which is going to be the only Sonata available in Australia this time around. So that signals some intent to me that Hyundai has realised that the sedan market, which has been, you know, doing the downward uh, trend for a long time, um, there's still a, a point to be made in that part of the market. And performance is going to be Hyundai's point that it's making in in that zone. I think we're going to see more and more of this from different brands moving forward. Um, you know, the, the likes of the Mazda 6, for example, uh, the next generation version is touted to be getting this new inline six-cylinder engine with hybrid and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, so the there is going to always be a market for the sedan. Um, it, it is shrinking the size of that market. And the, the vehicles themselves are actually getting bigger as well. Um, and this new Sonata N-Line is a performance-focused car. And that's what the N-Line brand is all about. You know, it's got a two-and-a-half-litre four-cylinder turbo with, what is it, 213 kilowatts and 422 newton metres. That's heat. That's more than a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, um, compared to the old uh, two-litre version, um, which wasn't... a performance model it was the premium version of the sonata which uh a two liter turbo 180 kilowatts and 353 newton meters so yeah. we're seeing sizable jumps uh in terms of performance it won't just be the the look of it it's not just the engine of course it's going to have um a, you know a specific n-line uh suspension and steering tune but it's not an australian specific tune this time around right um Hyundai said that basically the global tune was good enough for what their parameters were for an Australian tune. So maybe the Australian tuning thing is um, less important for less uh, important cars, you might say. Um, And it needs to be focused on things like Tucson and that when when those models come out. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. Is it the only Sonata that we're going to see in Australia is this inline model? Yep, correct. So this new generation model, which has been out for nearly 18 months, I believe, in Korea. Um, yeah, it's it's the only one we're getting. And what do you reckon, Justin? I think that's I don't think that's a bad thing. No, not at all. I mean, previously, the Hyundai Australia obviously had plans to have regular variants, if you will, of, of the Sonata. And obviously, they've been scrapped in more recent times. But yeah, if you were going to get any version of the Sonata, it would surely be the N-Line because... Those types of people that are still buying sedans are probably enthusiastic about having a sedan and therefore probably more likely to go and try and buy a performance variety of a, of a sedan, perhaps. So yeah. um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fits really well 
uh, within that, I think. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to try it when it comes here. Yeah, and I think we all are. Uh, it's such an interesting-looking car, uh, obviously with those LED strips that turn to chrome magically up through the bonnet. Uh, that chrome strip has been a real thing for Sonata for a few generations now, and um, good on them for sticking to it. I don't necessarily think it's gorgeous design, but um, it is such an interesting car in a very small market segment uh, that it's going to catch people's eye. And I think... That's what N-Line needs to do in particular. They need to have interesting looking cars. The end product portfolio, JC, as we know, is gonna expand over the next few years. We're gonna see new i30N very soon with the DCT. Uh, I30N sedan is also coming as well. Yeah. Um, and But does that mean we lose the fastback? Yes. So I don't think Hyundai Australia has officially announced it, but certainly our understanding is the fastback isn't coming to Australia in facelifted form. Obviously, when the i30N hatch was originally launched, it was followed soon after by the fastback in Australia, but that will only last half a life cycle here. Um, it's, it's not going to come back, but it might come back as like a special slash limited edition further down the line, but it's certainly not going to be a permanent offering. So effectively the i30 sedan N, to call it by its proper name, yeah. is going to replace the i30 fastback N um, in oh. Australia. Yeah. yeah. And Matt, to me, it feels like this is the Albert Bierman factor, that, that he's come into the organisation and he's just started doing what he does, yeah. which is uh, making everything go fast and, and yeah. what have you, which is no bad thing, but it, it feels like he's had a massive influence. Definitely. And if you're not aware of who Albert Bierman is, he's the former head of BMW M um, and is now the head of the basically the performance division for Hyundai globally. Um, and so that's right, exactly. He needs to expand his product portfolio and that expands the market presence in different sections of the market. I mean, we've seen the Tucson N-Line um, teasers and stuff. So it looks like it's going to be an interesting car as well. Uh, wonder if it'll get the same big engine and all that sort of gear as well. But um, there's, there's no doubt that Hyundai as a brand is uh, changing perceptions in yep. different parts of the market with its design. I mean, there's also the i20N coming, mm -hmm. um, which uh, Chesto has done a uh, yeah. type drive of, and he was blown away by it. Um, yeah. And yeah. all the reports seem to suggest that, you know, up against the likes of a Ford Fiesta ST, that is a really compelling little car. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also an interesting looking car. So, you know, it makes me wonder how far can this N-line uh, portfolio spread? I reckon that's a really interesting point because my mind goes to, all right, now you've got N-line and you've got N. Uh, you know, Toyota has uh, GR um, and then they've got MN. I wonder if N goes to another level and we get something even more focused um, out of them. And it's, it's entirely possible, I reckon. Definitely. So there's a supercar coming from uh, Hyundai, a mid-engine or mid-engined electric engine, That's if you will. Right. That's right. Yeah. I can't believe how many times I just said engine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, with Rimac, which is a Croatian uh, specialist in high-performance electric vehicles, so they have a partnership with them. Um, Hyundai's been on the record before with various concepts and speaking about this new N flagship that's going to come in the future, that's going to be a proper dedicated sports car, probably all electric given the uh, Rimac uh, partnership. And, you know, that's going to be a genuine bit of kit 
Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it's positioned because on paper, certainly the way they describe it, it sounds like you know, a proper sports car that's going to cost a pretty penny and not you know, kind of mainstream hot hatch, if you will. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see uh, very soon where that goes. And the other question that comes to my mind, Matt, is um, we made some obvious kind of comparisons between this Sonata and the Kia Stinger. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fundamental difference being the driven wheels, you know, the Stinger being yeah. the traditional front engine rear wheel drive, this one's still sticking with front wheel drive. Um, what did Hyundai have to say about that? I mean, to me, it doesn't seem a big stretch to make something all wheel drive. Was there any talk of that? Yeah, no mention of that. Um, but it, I don't necessarily think that that's um, a global consideration either. But um, I don't know whether there is. Honestly, I don't know whether there is an all wheel drive uh, take on Sonata in the world. Yeah. Um, but they have uh, the rear wheel drive platform, which allows all wheel drive in their higher spec sedans in Korea. Yeah. Um, so they've got above the uh, Sonata, there's a, I don't know if it's called grandeur anymore, yeah. um, but there's one above it. And I think there's another one above it. So there's uh, there's a whole range of sedans in the Hyundai lineup that we don't get in Australia um, because as we've said, the market just isn't there. Um, yes. Uh, there is the likes of the i30 sedan, which is formerly the Elantra, uh, yeah. but and this Sonata, and that's about it really in the world of uh, passenger sedans. But my, I I was thinking about it when I was um, filming this uh, i30, sorry, this Sonata N line, um, and I'm thinking back to a date when they did a Santa Fe SR a few years right. ago, like six or seven years ago, probably maybe even longer. Um, yeah. And it had, you know, it had bigger wheels, had bigger brakes, had stiffer suspension, I, I believe, but just the same engine and that. So this was, SR was basically what M-Line is today. It was the... Yeah, fettled. it was the start of it all, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Australia, it was, you know, the, I know that there was a lot of uh, brand value in the SR badge, so it must have hurt to have to change it to this new global M-Line mm. brand. But... Mm. It, it, it is a global move and this is part of a, a very big global strategy. So I think it's only a matter of time. If we're seeing a, a uh, Tucson N-Line, yeah. um, then maybe we'll see a, a Santa Fe N-Line. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there'll be a Palisade N-Line. Who knows? Uh, so it's just going to keep growing. The only reason I mention all-wheel drive is I do remember talking to um, a person inside on the engineering um, side of Hyundai talking about how basically a Tucson all-wheel drive rear end will just bolt into an i30, more or less, you know, that that you can make that car all-wheel drive without too many headaches. And I would have thought that might be possible elsewhere, given that they have so much commonality in platforms and powertrain and things. Um, You wouldn't wouldn't be terribly surprised to see it happen with this Sonata. Probably not, but it seems to me that um, they're happy with front-wheel drive uh, for this car. and maybe who knows there's going to be all-wheel drive uh, performance models across different variants in the range but i don't know whether the honestly i'm not really sure whether the market in in say a fifty thousand dollar hyundai sedan is yeah. demanding of yeah. the sort of all-wheel drive traction that we would want with that sort of power yeah. um, and we've seen so many cars now that are front-wheel drive with 200 to 250 kilowatts of power that can manage it really well. It is surprising. Like you look back 10 years and any car with 200 kilowatts at the front wheels was a a tire burner. Well, 
400 that's three MPS. Yeah, four hundred plus newton meters of torque. That's that's a massive amount to be putting through the front wheels. Yeah, um, and managing it effectively and getting it on on the ground. So you know, hats off for that. But that kind of output, not all that long ago, was V eight territory for sure. You know, yeah, to yeah absolutely. Get that. It's quite a big four cylinder. You know, two and a half liters. They're big. Mm -hmm. They're big pots, but um, still four hundred and twenty two. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. In terms of N and all-wheel drive, though, uh, let's not forget the Kona N's not that far away either. It hasn't been officially revealed yet, but certainly the expectation is that will be all-wheel drive, and that's going to be the kind of first time we see that i30N package yeah. with all-wheel drive. Again, not confirmed, but that is certainly the expectation that, you know, an all-wheel drive Kona is currently available so that the N flagship will also probably be all-wheel drive as well. It might not be, but so there's a strong chance. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny if it was rear-wheel drive? <laughs> now, that would be unexpected <laughs> yeah but i suppose it's part putting some luster on the hyundai brand isn't it and part selling some cars you know shifting some metal and broadening your appeal so as to what the ultimate end goal is um time will tell but uh, it's probably doing both things at the moment yeah and i i've just been thinking more and more about how the strategy with um, sedans is playing out for different brands and the likes of this new i30 sedan which is 4.6 meters long it is not a small car that's, yeah, uh, that's Ma Mazda 3 sedans really long as well um, that that whole segment of small sedan is no longer a small car they're more like mid-sized sedans now and that leaves me to think that maybe the i30 sedan will be playing the fleet role that uh, the previous versions of Sonata would have and they've just gone, well, we'll aim for the private buyer base, which was buying the top spec anyway, the 42 grand version of the Sonata. This one's going to be even more performance oriented. It's going to be more desirable. It's going to be more yeah. high tech, more luxurious, all those things. Yeah. Um, so it gives them a, an even more unique buyer experience. You know, they're not seeing a low spec Sonata driving around and them going, well, why do I pay the extra 12 grand for this one? Um, yeah. If it just, you know, they're the same sort of car. So, yeah, it's an interesting trouble, point. Do they run into trouble, though, by having the i30 sedan in and the Sonata in line probably quite closely positioned to one another in terms of price, you would assume, one being an actual N, the other being an N line, still a performance upgrade, sure, but not a full fat N. Yeah. Um, you've got to imagine that they're not going to, I would assume the Sonata is probably going to be a little pricier than the i30 sedan. In, um, but they won't be too different in terms of price. And considering how almost similar they are in size, like yes. it's not too different, you know, that yeah. could be interesting to see. The life, of a, the life of a product planner oh, is, exactly. you know, getting all those, those things to mesh so that you have a, a meaningful and attractive range of models without mm. too much clashing of teeth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, I don't envy them, but I also wish I was one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, the range that you would produce M4 would oh, be fascinating. It would be amazing. <laughs> All right. I think what we'll do is move on, but we'll ask people listening or, or viewing on YouTube to, to give us their thoughts. You know, um, what, are you, what are you making of the whole rise of this N and N line part of Hyundai? Is it changing the brand for you or where, where do you see it? So it'd be great to get uh, people's thoughts. Yeah. And we'll also move on to our garage and the cars that we have, in fact, been driving this week. And, Justin, you've been slumming it. You've, you've been in, you know, a fairly sluggish, low-key yeah. uh, kind of a vehicle. Tell us what you've been in. 
Uh, unfortunately, I've had to spend uh, a couple of days and, and the rest of the coming week in the uh, new Audi RS7 Sportback, which is, to your uh, point, uh, a bit of a snail when it comes to a straight line. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it, it is obviously a fairly desirable car in the Audi range, RS7 sitting at the top of the A7 range, of course. Um, but yeah, we're talking, of course, about a four litre twin turbo V8 under the bonnet, uh, 441 kilowatts, 800 newton meters, 3.6 seconds to 100. So yeah, it's not exactly yeah. slow, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is great. But one thing I find funny about this car is obviously, yes, it is very fast. It's got a big V8 under the bonnet with a couple of turbos, all that kind of stuff. But it also is a mild hybrid at the same time. Yeah. So it's not your Toyota self-charging hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. It's uh, the mildest version, as the name suggests, but it's, it's it's funny that they've bothered to put that technology in a car like this. And obviously, Europe and uh, the regulations over there is probably a key reason why that's the case. Mm. But it, it's just interesting to see that there is this kind of electric element to it. You know, yeah. the engine cuts off at 22 k's an hour when you're decelerating, so it comes with the traffic lights, and the engine's already off and has been for a little bit. Um, you know, it coasts and turns the engine off like it's geared towards trying to be not so bad for the environment. But when you actually stick the boot in, it goes. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's yeah. like hell. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that side of it is interesting. Um, but what amazes me is it's just it's a jack of all trades. You know, it's a comfortable cruiser. It looks great, luxurious, high tech. Mm. Obviously, we know the performance is there. It's nice to drive. Like, there's really not a lot to hate. Magnificent. Uh, well, what about the price tag, Amazing. mate? You might, you might, might be a bit hard to stomach that one. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can't afford one because uh, if, if I could, I may have bought one. But yeah, no, the price tag is two hundred twenty-four grand before on roads in Australia. So, yeah. you know, this particular car I have has quite a few options uh, fitted, option packages that are about twenty grand each. So I think right. this one's about two hundred sixty before yep. on road so it's basically a three hundred thousand dollar car by the time you get it in your driveway with the options this one has yes. um so yeah it costs pretty pennies so yeah, yeah it's expensive but it is cheaper than the previous rs7 which had less stuff in it so if anything it's better value than it used to be but it's still a bit unattainable certainly for people like me who want to own <laughs> one but can't uh unless it was quite old uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it is desirable. But the one thing I would say that is an actual negative in my mind about the RS7 is it's not the RS6 Avant, which, of oh, course, God. is the wagon version, basically, of the same car um, based on yeah. the A6 Avant. And it's eight grand cheaper, the RS6, than the, uh, compared to the RS7, which doesn't really make sense because arguably the Avant, you actually get more car than you do with the RS7, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. you pay a premium for being stylish. Um, so I would personally right. save the eight grand and go with the RS6 Avant because that is uber cool. Well, you, you're preaching to the converted here because I can speak on M4's behalf uh, that it, that's, that's such a fantastic car, yeah. uh, the RS6 um, Avant. I, am I correct? You are 100% correct. James and I were lucky enough uh, a few months ago to um, spend a bit of time in both cars and swap them halfway through the loan. So yeah. he, you start, which one did you start off with? The uh, wagon? The, RS, the RS6, yeah. Yeah. And I started off with the RS7. And, yeah. you know, I can see a user case and a, a scenario for both uh, of those cars, uh, but I'm the same. I would choose the wagon just because I like the look of it more. I think it has more presence. I've always wanted an RS6 and yeah. it just ticks so many boxes for me. So. I don't, at the end of the day as well, it's a motoring journalism uh, cliche to want to have a performance wagon as well. So it would be yeah. rude not to want the RS6. 
You know, I was going to say with regard to that mild um, electrification in yes. that car, you know, we're all kind of separated internationally now. We're, we're, we in Australia are in a, a kind of bubble all of our own, but you forget how tuned into, uh, you know, those kinds of emissions and uh, consumption issues Europe is um, yeah. in total. And even on a car like that, to get a corporate kind of average lowering down, um, it's important. I suppose it's just a reminder of that factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that particular car and a lot of Audis with that mild hybrid system, it only reduces fuel consumption by I think it's 0.4 litres per 100 kilometres. So yeah. it is negligible. But when you think about it from a, a corporate fleet emissions perspective, that's right. Um, 0.4 litres per 100 actually makes a big difference for them. Again, it's all geared for Europe. We just get what we're given in Australia, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because again, it doesn't makes sense for that kind of car at the moment um being it's the mildest form of electrification but um yeah, yeah. interesting nonetheless yeah. good okay well brilliant thank you very much for that justin and um, m4 we will move to you you we're not in europe now we've uh, we've gone to a different place you've yes. been immersing yourself uh, in this vehicle tell us all about it i have the honda crv the 2021 version of the crv which um Unless you know the differences, you might struggle to pick them um, because it does. It is a facelift of the car. It's not a overhaul uh, per se. Um, it does uh, get a slightly different look. There's, there's like a little mustache that runs, which is a common theme I'm seeing on a lot of cars these days. Is there's these sort of thing that runs down and then it wisps up at the edges. I'm guessing yeah, okay. there's some sort of aero benefit, but also it's a design trait at the moment. So there's that, you get a new grill, you get, um, there's uh, different wheels um, on the one that you'll be seeing on YouTube what, if you're watching. In, in each corner, you get a different wheel. Yeah. That's, you get four of them. Un, ah. That is unusual, but a different design at each corner. Love yeah. It. No, no. Um, so you get a diff there are different, different wheel wheels. designs uh, available across the range. Okay. Yep. Um, the, um, the version that I had is the VTI LX all-wheel drive, the top spec at $47,490, which is a lot of money. Um, it had the biggest wheels, the 19s, uh, which you'll be seeing on YouTube if you're watching there. Um, and there's also a new tail light uh, look, which is ba basically like you saw in the HRV, it went to a sort of smoked tail light look, um, a few other different features inside. Not much has changed except for the center consoles being redesigned so it's easy to put your usbs in oh. um nothing's changed in terms of the uh media system it's uh, a seven inch screen which is small by class standards now um, but it's still got apple carplay and android auto across every model in the range now now yeah. this is the important part the base model car the vi um does it finally gets the big screen but it misses yep. out on all the safety kit that you get on the other models in the range and it also misses out on the engine that you get in the VTI and up. So there's this VI model, to me, just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit with the brand value of, you know, trying to offer safety to people and trying to offer a good engine to people. It just seems to me like, I mean, there might be a very small fleet market there for Honda to play in, but it's putting, the I think, the brand's... Um, cachet and reputation at risk by right. still offering cars that don't have active safety technology in 2020 yeah. for a yes. 2021 model year. Yeah. Like if yeah. that car was tested under ANCAP's current testing regime, 
it would get three couple stars. A couple of stars, yeah. Three stars, yeah. which yeah. I know yeah. I wouldn't be happy recommending any one of my family members yeah. to be buying. You know, if you if you can afford a car brand new, yeah, there are so many other options out there in this segment that have better safety technology. And that's across the range. Like there's still no blind spot monitoring, still no rear cross traffic alert, still no rear AEB. It's still missing a few other uh, crucial items as well. The, the, the thing there is, Matt, it puts me in mind of when airbags started to emerge and, you know, often they were optional. You know, ABS yep. was optional. A passenger airbag was optional. And that quickly became, uh, people saw it uh, through quite cynical eyes, you know, mm -hmm. that surely it doesn't cost you that much to put these essential safety items into the car. I reckon we're in similar territory here because those things have been developed to a point where they're often off the shelf from a Bosch or from, from someone else. I'm, I'm not sure how much is developed in-house, but it can't be a massive price impost to put I, some of them into a car, you know? I wouldn't think so, and especially when uh, Honda's decided to put prices up across the range anyway. So um, the top spec one is now four grand more or something, and it doesn't feel like you're getting 10% more stuff. Um, so it is um, an interesting car. It's a really good practical family model. There's no doubt about that, but it is not up to date with its competitors. A RAV4 is a better car and, and on multiple levels. Um, a Forester has better safety. Um, a CX-5 has better safety, even though it's a very old car in the segment. Um, and, all and across every have, single model. All of those have the same wheel at each corner as they well. They do. That's, <laughs> that's, that's one advantage, I suppose. Though. They just have one wheel and it jumps between corners. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I think we'll um, we'll move on. I'll just thank you, Matt. We'll um, I can tip in at the end here. I've been in the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, better known as the FEV. Uh, this is a new model, uh, the GSR. The FEV is not exactly a spring chicken. It's been around since 2014, and it's due for an all-new model uh, in the first part of next year. So this GSR has been introduced to keep momentum going, uh, generate some interest in the car as it, it gets towards the end of its run. Um, it's a $52,490 car in Australia, but at the time that we're um, of launch, it's 56,490 drive away. So it's up in that mid $50,000 bracket. So you've got the combination of a 2.4 litre uh, petrol engine and then two motors, uh, one on each axle, uh, single speed auto, and it can operate in EV only in series where the engine is operating as a generator, topping up the battery and parallel where it puts everything on the table and you've got the motors and the uh, engine directly driving the front wheels, but it is all wheel drive. So the overall number is about 157 kilowatts, 322 Newton meters, so not bad. But the GSR, you know, for a lot of people that has some history with Mitsubishi and, and it has those kinds of performance and sporting overtones. So this one gets a Bilstein tuned suspension. It's got, uh, you know, struts and shocks and mm -hmm. re-rated springs and what have you. Um, and so, the, and some little blacked out bits on the car uh, make it look a bit a bit sporty. And so we'll get to that. But on the plus <laughs> column for it, I really enjoy uh, in a lot of uh, PHEVs is the adjustable regen on the braking. So you have paddles on the wheel or column that look like they're for gears, but actually they're to uh, modify the amount of regenerative braking you've got. And you can charge the battery by doing that. Love playing with that. Yeah. Um, the interior of this GR GSR is beautiful. It's got this microfiber inserts in the seats that are kind of little rolls that look really sporty and they're pretty comfy. 
Um, so for a 1.7 ton SUV, um, I got 5.9 litres per 100 for the week, which was a combination of running it on pure EV and then running it on the motor for a while. Um, they claim 1.9 litres, mind you, per 100. So yeah. that's all about that first 100 kilometres where your EV range is about 54, 55 kilometres. And then you're doing the last bit on petrol. But in the yeah. real world, uh, 5.9 is what you can probably expect. But for four recharges, um, which will get you about 200 kilometres in energy, uh, a CanStar Blue um, average energy rating, um, you, it'll cost you about $14.50 um, to, to go 200 kilometres is, is by my calculation. Which is not and bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. And this, this model also, um, I mean, it's, it's a reasonable chunk of change, but it is good value. It is loaded. It's loaded in terms of its straight up equipment and safety. And yeah. you're getting the Mitsubishi in Australia, a 10-year warranty yeah. uh, as well. So it, it's offering a pretty compelling value package. Then we get to the sporty bit. Um, and in the minus column, I would say it's not exactly sporty. Um, the, steering, <laughs> the steering is still tremendously numb. You're not getting any real road feel um, from, the, from the front wheels. Um, yes, it's, it's quick enough, but it's not a, an urgent kind of uh, sporty drive. Yeah. Also driving, you feel as though it is getting old. It is showing its age. There's no digital speedometer, for example. And in this day and age, it just feels like that's essential to make sure that yeah. you're always within the speed limit. Um, it's efficient and it's comfy, but I didn't necessarily find it inspiring. It's, it's a bit of fun and it, it serves its purpose pretty well. But, you know, there it is. Luckily, they didn't call it a rally art, I guess. Well, um, <laughs> that, that would be a, a bridge too far. Um, but JC, I'll just also point out um, a lot of people who would be buying um, a plug-in hybrid like this will have solar panels on their roof. So yeah. the electricity could actually be free. Well, that's and a good point. That's running right. costs could be zero dollars if yes. you if that's your user case and you're only doing 50Ks a day or whatever it may be, or yep. 50Ks to work, you plug it in at work and they pay the bill. Happy days. Absolutely. So. A sneaky, oh, there's a three-point uh, pin. I'll just, uh, plug. I'll just plug that in. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, funnily enough, where I live in Sydney, it's about 22 kilometres to the city. So it's a, you know, 44-kilometre round trip. You're well within range for the battery only. Mm -hmm. So you can conceivably, if you're a, a commuter um, to work, you can run on EV power till the cows come home, you know. There you go. Um, so I, I do like that. For me... The plug-in hybrid is a fantastic stepping stone to a full electric future. Yeah. I get where Toyota is with hybrid. I, I know it's an extra thing that you have to do each day, but I quite like it. I, mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy that technology. On the GSR front, JC, how does it ride? Look, it's not too bad. Um, there's a, it's a little bit jittery um, with, with high frequency imperfections in the road, but it's, it's far from harsh. I found it to be pretty good overall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, but uh, but you're not getting that. If you think Bilstein suspension, you think GSR, you think oh, it's going to be really racing, and then you grab the steering wheel and turn into a corner and go, what? What's <laughs> happening? Will, will this happen? There's just not that immediacy um, yeah. of the drive, if you know what I mean. I think yeah. that's been a, a bit of a trait of Mitsubishi um, SUVs for a long time. Yeah. yeah. The, it's not quite as direct as some of their rivals. No, it's there in force, put it that way. Or it's yeah. not, uh, depending, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Now, what we'll do now is just touch uh, relatively briefly on some feedback that we had on last week's episode. Mm -hmm. And we were speaking about Hyundai's potential move into Toyota Land Cruiser territory. 
uh, building a body-on-frame, large, off-road-capable SUV. And it uh, generated quite a lot of thoughts from, from uh, viewers and listeners. And Peter Crott said, if any company can challenge Toyota's dominance in Australia, it's Hyundai. Uh, look how far they've come in a relatively short period of time. Uh, this will just make competition better, better cars with cheaper prices. We all win. And uh, it's hard to, hard to argue with him on that front. Yeah. But Neza, our old mate Neza, said, I think Hyundai has a bit of leeway in costs because we're talking about can they bring it to market to undercut the Land Cruiser, uh, whether it's an investment for them in exploring a new, new market territory. And he made the point um, that the steel that might go into that car could be at an attractive price because Hyundai, of course, is also a steel maker. Yep. Um, and they are very good in terms of high-strength steels uh, and putting those in their vehicles. Um, if anyone could make a vehicle tougher than the Hilux or Land Cruiser, his bet would be on uh, Hyundai or Kia. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an interesting perspective, I thought. I think the um, the other side of it is uh, the reason that the Land Cruiser in Australia has this reputation is that, A, they're pretty hard to break. They last a half a million Ks. You probably could not do an oil change and it'd be fine for half a million Ks. Mm-hmm. But if you do get stuck uh, somewhere in yeah. Outback New South Wales or Outback Australia, anywhere, yeah, yeah. there's a dealership somewhere. So yeah. Toyota there the dealership... Also, there are parts at the milk bar as well available. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a spread of dealerships all over the nation that just allow that peace of mind. If, if something does go wrong, I would argue that maybe like Mitsubishi might be the next best uh, in right. terms of uh, Australian spread of dealership footprint. Um, but... Yeah, Hyundai's definitely um, growing in Australia and growing its yeah. presence. So Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I mean, that is a Toyota. Whether it, its perception is everything, you know, um, there's reality in there, but also it's become folklore that, you know, mm-hmm. Toyota can, everyone knows how to work on a Toyota. Your corner mechanic, uh, not just the dealers. So there's that. It's very much in Toyota's favour at the moment. You're right. Yep. Um, Jim Danik says, this is not Hyundai's first go at a ladder frame four-wheel drive. They sold the Terracan um, in Oz from 2001 to 2007. And what a wonderfully awkward-looking vehicle that was. <laughs> uh, but he's right. Thank you, Jim, uh, Jim, for that reminder. Then places to see, spelt S-E-A at the end, places to see. Um, Hyundai have also made a four-wheel drive H1 Starex. So H1 is the global naming for the iLoad. Yep. Um, something that he believes should have come to Australia and ideally should now, uh, but with more towing capacity. Um, maybe with six-cylinder diesel at a realistic price, they'd be great. Uh, <laughs> when you drive the East Coast, etc., cetera, um, all you see are 200 series Land Cruisers used for towing. So a Hyundai four-wheel drive would need similar towing capacity and larger payloads. So yeah, absolutely right. But um, we've got a picture for people on YouTube of the Star X, and lo and behold, it looks exactly like an ILO. Yes. Uh, with yes. Um, slightly different wheels. So that's an interesting one, too. Well, the, the six cylinder thing is um, uh, also with that Genesis six cylinder that we've seen in the GV80, um, that theoretically could be a really good fit for that yes. sort of application. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Big, big outputs, very refined, very nice driving. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Interesting. The, the next couple of comments relate to a story that uh, our very own Byron Matthew Darkus has written. So I'll, I'll run through the comments, then we'll, we'll talk about Byron's story and how it addresses these thoughts. Um, so Wax333, our old mate Wax333 and uh, uh, a loyal Kiwi, 
says Hyundai will need to prove it can compete with the Land Cruiser in the real world, not just on paper. Uh, it be a very tough sell in the first few years, but if Hyundai can stick to it and keep refining the vehicle, the numbers will start climbing. Will we see a Hyundai Ute anytime soon? So hold that thought. Uh, and Gradlin74 says Hyundai could take a leaf out of Isuzu's book by releasing a rugged dual cab Ute and then an SUV body on top, uh, but still thinks the Santa Cruz has a business case here in Oz. So Byron uh, just recently wrote a news story um, that says there's a still secret uh, one-ton truck employing a ladder frame chassis uh, lurking around in Hyundai, rumoured to hit the streets sometime in 2023, and Byron has various uh, Hyundai Australian executives saying it can't come to Australia quick enough. They're, uh, they're on the record saying that. And the Santa Cruz, much as all I'd been thinking that was a bit of a no-go zone for Australia, um, that aims to kind of reinvent the, the Ute as a civilised getaway machine, a little bit like the Subaru Brumby, uh, Proton Jumbuck, but slightly larger and a little more sophisticated. A monocoque body, body construction rather than the, the frame, uh, body on frame. Advanced suspension and mainly four-cylinder engine choices, it's still undecided for Australia. Um, and other right-hand drive markets is Byron's Mail. So uh, very interesting to see whether it may indeed get up here. It's a slim chance, he says, but if the Palisade fires, and bear in mind that was a car that was never intended or was never going to come to Australia, and lo and behold, it has, um, Byron says you never know. So it, it, it still could happen. I would argue that Palisade was more of a challenge to get to um, right-hand drive than the Santa Cruz would be because the Santa Cruz uh, inevitably will share its platform with the new Tucson, I believe. Yeah. Um, and obviously we have a Tucson in Australia, so um, I would assume that it would be far easier for them to offer a right-hand drive version of the Santa Cruz than it was the Palisade, which required you know, retooling of factories just for one market, so on yes. and so forth. So yes. um, on paper, it seems a lot more possible. Whether it will happen, time will tell, but um, yeah. But it's interesting. One of the many things I admire about Byron is that he just doesn't take things at face value. I think one of my shortcomings is if an executive says to me, look, nah, it's never coming here, I'll go, all right, never coming here. Whereas Byron <laughs> thinks, ah, really? Yeah. And he's con consistently digging a bit further. I remember when he used to prod Nissan occasionally about Duke. Come on, you've got to bring Duke here. Are you going to bring Duke? No, no, no. <laughs> and what happened? You know, the Duke came here. Yeah. And that, that is his approach. And so he's been probing around on, on Hyundai with these things. So you never know. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, now, finally, Lofty Visions from a great height has said, forget Hyundai. I'd like to see what Kia's version will look like. Always preferred Peter Schreyer's designs over Hyundai's busy design language. But I should say, I think Peter Schreyer has oversight on all of um, Hyundai and Kia design at this point. Yeah. Have you seen the renders, rhetorical question, have you seen the renders of the new Sportage fire emoji? <laughs> so, um, you yes. know, you don't have to look too far. And Lofty makes a good point that uh, Kia would presumably be riding in parallel with some of this same stuff. Yep, 100%. It's, uh, they are a group. They may be different brands, but Hyundai Motor Corporation is a group. Uh, and so you will expect maybe there would be... Uh, Hyundai, Kia, Genesis, Ionic. Uh, who knows? Who knows how far exactly. these things could spread? So Exactly. If you want to make your investment pay off, you've got to amortise it as far and wide as you can. So mm -hmm. uh, you'd think it would be, be going there. Um, but speaking of amortising far and wide, it's time for Muskwatch.
tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Now, first of all, first of all, a really interesting story published on Vanity Fair uh, this week by a guy called Nick Hilton. And he's basically saying, he's recounting 2020 from an Elon point of view and saying what a, a weird and wonderful year it was for him. But he actually called out a turning point um, being just outside of 2020. It was December 2019 when Elon, against all expectations, won the pedo guy defamation case um, in Los Angeles. Uh, and he decided at that point, according to Nick, to go in hard on his perceived enemies. Like that just gave him a license to forget it. I don't care what you think. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And in the, in the interim, he has sacked his external PR agency for Tesla, stopped hiring for openings in his communications team, disbanded the PR department, blanket blocked many of the journalists who'd covered that uh, Vernon Unsworth trial about the pedo guy tweet. Um, and Elon is his own communications director now. So it's like we're getting pure, unadulterated Elon. And he's mm. had a lot to say about COVID reporting and lockdowns and the, the impact that they have had. But according to this story, to everyone watching, it seemed as if Musk was finally unravelling from the pressure of his mission to save the world. Um, and this is uh, Nick talking to various people who are in Elon's orbit, saying the thing about Elon is that right now everyone else is finally seeing the way he's always been. Um, this is a former Tesla executive. Uh, he's just being Elon a lot more publicly. So we've had these kinds of meltdowns with no filter to yeah. stop it just getting out into the, the public realm. All of these guys, I've spent time with them, Musk, Zuck, uh, all of them, they all exhibit tendencies of total and complete pathological sociopathy. They don't at their core give a flying uck about you or me as individuals. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> is, it, is this news to anyone? It might be. <laughs> Uh, and look, some close to him, according to the story, are saying that the behaviour that's on display through 2020, it's been quite erratic. It's because of substances that he might have been consuming, alcohol, marijuana, that he obsesses about on social media, or, or LSD, as that uh, singer Azalea Banks uh, claimed, and Musk has since denied, or Ambien, which he's been quite upfront about um, using. So uh, whatever his drug of choice, several executives have told the author that employees at all of his companies check Musk's Twitter account first thing in the morning to see what disaster happened the night before and to decipher it will lead to a new lawsuit, uh, lawsuit affect Tesla's stock price, or add to growing public resentment toward their CEO. Um, so, for example, if you're at Tesla, everybody watches the next SpaceX launch because they know if it goes well, Elon's going to be in a great mood and all these budget requests go into his desk, you know, while the window of opportunity is open. But if it doesn't, people just keep their head down and cower because um, things don't go so well. Really uh, revealing and very interesting story. Yeah, wow. Um, But one thing that has come to pass is Tesla Keeler. Now, this was, it in fact started as an April Fool's joke. that uh, Like everything he does. He's going to get into (laughs) Tesla. Have we said juvenile sense of humour? Anyway, um, he was going to get into making a, a tequila. It's happened. It's sold out in hours with US $250 a bottle, which is about $340 a bottle Australian. Now, it's not known exactly how many bottles were produced, so it could be half a dozen. I'm not sure, but it's sold out in hours. Um, and it, they're already selling 
for as much as $999 secondhand. So whether there's a second bottling, who knows? But it's in the, the bottle is in the shape of a lightning bolt on a very nifty little alloy plinth and it looks amazing. And so there you go. He's, he's actually followed through and made the Tesla Keeler. Oh, it'll be good to fuel the uh, flamethrowers with, I guess. <laughs> that, was the rockets. that was a big seller. Absolutely. Oh, rockets, exactly. Rockets. Yeah. Um, the Tesla share price is now $413.13. Uh, it was $420.98 last week. But it got up to a high of about $449 on Tuesday. But it's still in the same band. There's no, we're not getting the volatility that, uh, that we once saw. Over the last several weeks, in fact, a couple of months, it's been pretty steady as she goes. Yep. I found three different news outlets that were running on a similar theme. Um, Stock News, for example, said Tesla versus Ford, which stock is better to buy? And their conclusion was Ford. Yeah. Um, CNN Business, want to invest in electric cars? GM could be a better bet than Tesla. And on balance, they came down on the side of GM with things like Hummer and, and other initiatives that they're developing. And right. Yahoo Finance, will Tesla or Neo stock grow more by 2025? It's Neo. Yeah. So it feels as though, yes, it's established, it's gone to this stratospheric high, but at the moment there are some question marks as competitors get a bit more serious as to whether or not that steep uh, ascension can continue. And Neo is that electric uh, motorbike and scooter brand, Correct. which uh, was valued, what, sixth most uh, valuable automotive yep. company yep. on the planet. Nobody's heard of it. Like. No. Except, How can it be? Except must-watch viewers and listeners because we did yeah. touch on it a few weeks ago. But yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I remember so, at a, um, a, a motor show a few years ago, I walked up. It was actually in Korea. You were there, Justin. Was, uh, was, you were working yes, for a competitor at that time. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were we walked in and there was the Neo stand was there. And yep. to me, this looked like, you know, a kind of a knockoff brand, the sort of brand that uh, is making things that no one's buying yet um, and hasn't really figured out how it's going forward. But I mean, personal mobility devices, be they uh, electric push scooters, be they uh, electric uh, push bikes or skateboards, all these little uh, electric scooters that can do 50Ks an hour and are perfect for urban drivers. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a future in that, I think. So yeah. if they could just get ones that are like a little bubble and like a pod, I'll be there. Particularly in these COVID times, a bit of protection yes. while you're scootering. Oh, and yeah. climate change, you know. Well, that's <laughs> M4 becomes the boy in the bubble. Oh, <laughs> where I want to be. <laughs> that's true. We did a few weeks ago cover off Neo as being a red hot kind of tip. Uh, in terms of if you want to buy into electric mobility, um, park Tesla for a while, think about Neo because it has so much headroom uh, and so much growth potential. So, yeah, my mind's saying Neo is also making a car. Well, they had a supercar concept or something, or have I just they? made that up? I don't know. I think you've just made that up, but mate, you know, <laughs> it's a great idea. We should get onto them, and uh, I'm sure <laughs> Justin's You're welcome to them. <laughs> uh, exactly. I'm going to go sort that out now. <laughs> now, uh, with that, we have reached the finish line. And uh, I want to say thanks, Justin. And thank you. thank you, Matt. Thank you. And hats off to our Viceroy of Production Excellence, Good Vibes Manager, and Herder of Helpless People, Mr. Pritchard, for his blood, sweat, and tears behind the scenes. Today, he's wearing a t shirt saying, I shaved my balls for this. 
Elmo pants and Lightning McQueen Crocs. Incredible. What Let us look. know your thoughts. You can wow. Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can watch us on YouTube. And if you are already, make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest reviews. But before we go, a friend of mine told me she was in a tight spot this week found herself distraught and sobbing because she'd had a super tough day and topped it off by locking her keys in the car. But a passing soldier assured her that he could help. She said it was a little unnerving, but this bloke proceeded to take off his pants, roll them up into a ball and start rubbing them against the driver's door. Magically, the door opened. She said, that's amazing. How did you do that? And the soldier said, Easy. These are my car keys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brilliant as always. <laughs>